2 Samuel 15 is a story of conspiracy, deceit, and lies. No, I'm not talking about Washington, D.C., where they lock up petty thieves and then elect the great ones to office. These are the serpent's tactics. And so Absalom was crafty. He lied, played God, false worshipped, used others, and ordained himself. And in the end, he drove out the godly from the promised land. It's the serpent's moves to draw and drive the people of the Lord away from the Lord. But it's also the Lord's moves. You see, this is a story of God's preservation, and God was chastening David. He promised the sword would never depart from David's house, and Absalom, his own son, was the sword. But Absalom was a sword in God's hand. You see, the devil is God's devil. That's how big our God is. Even the devil is God's devil. And the Lord allows trouble in our life. He allows the sin and the suffering, and he uses it. The Lord uses trouble to discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. He chastens every son whom he receives. You see, God allows suffering because suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance for the Christian. Discipline makes us strong. Discipline makes the church stronger. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul writes, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In our text this morning, God chastened and preserved David. He chastened to preserve David. And so we finally get to see, in this text this morning, we finally get to see David acting like a man after God's own heart again. We finally get to see that David we fell in love with earlier in Samuel. David was kicked out of the land of promise. He was kicked out of the land of promise for sin. But in the wilderness... God preserved him. In the wilderness, God preserves his people. In the wilderness, God preserves his people. In sin and suffering, God is there never letting you go. He is giving you what you need most. In the sin and suffering, God is there giving you what you need most. And what you need most is God. You need God himself. So in the wilderness, God preserves his people. His rod and staff comfort me. That's the title of my sermon this morning, the main idea, the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God preserves his people. In the wilderness. In the wilderness, people, is because of sin. The wilderness church is our sin. We see in 2 Samuel, verse 1, after this, Absalom got himself chariot and horses. He got himself chariot and horses, and then he inscribed these, inscripted these 50 men to run before him. 
after this, it says. That is, after David, after David blessed Absalom, after David spared Absalom, after David gave his royal favor to Absalom, after all this, Absalom went shopping. He went shopping for a chariot, horses, and he inscripted these 50 men to run before him. Why? So that we could see what we see every election cycle. This is good politics. He wants to look the part. He wants to look the part because he wants you to vote him in as king. But you can't just have the look. You have to win the hearts of the people. So Absalom, verse 2, used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. He would stand early. I'm hardworking for the people. I'm here for you up early in the morning, working hard for you. And when any man had a dispute, to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would come and say, from what city are you? And now he's enduring himself to the people. He's enduring. Where are you from? Ah, he's winning the hearts, hardworking, expressing personal interest in the persons. Where are you from? He shared that he cared for you. He cared personally from you, for you. Who are you? Where are you from? And he not only cared for you, he believed you were always right. Verse 3, he said, and then he said, your servant, the man would answer, oh, I'm from such and such tribe in Israel. And Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right. Your claims are good and right. Absalom never saw a complaint that wasn't right. Every, every problem everyone brought, oh, you're so right. You'll walk away from Absalom saying, this guy really likes me. He gets me. He knows who I am. He knows everyone's the problem. <laughs> he knows I'm right. I like this guy. I like this guy. I'm Absalom, and I approve of this message. I care for you, believe in you, but my opponent, that's what you're really you're seeing here, but my opponent, he does it. See, your claims are good and right. And then he says, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. And right now, he's cultivating the idea in Israel that David doesn't really care for you like me. He created a dissatisfied contingency. It's good politics. It's good politics. For example, what, what's implied by the slogan, Build Back Better? What's the implication of Build Back Better? The implication is, I can fix it. <laughs> the implication is there's something wrong. I can build it back better. I can build it back better than my previous the previous people who've gone before me. And the message doesn't really have to tell you how we're going to build it back better. It just has to make the claim that I trust me. So Absalom here doesn't even say that he wants to be king. He just gives the implication, I can fix, I can build back better. He didn't ask to be king. He didn't need to. He only needed to suggest that he alone could solve their problems. Good politics. Verse 4, then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. He had the look. He had the message. Now he needs to win the hearts. He needs that personal Touch, verse 5, and whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, that is when a man came, he's royalty, right? Every time a man came to, to curtsy and, be, and bow before him, he would pick him up by the hand and say, oh, don't do that. I'm one of you. I'm just like you. Don't bow before me. I'm you. 
I mean, this is better than playing a saxophone on MTV. He is telling the people, I'm one of you. Vote for me. Sorry if you're not 40 years old. That just went over your heads. And your parents can help you later. He's basically saying that he, not David, he, not David, deserved to be Israel's king. Verse 6, thus Absalom did all to Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. The Hebrew word stole there means trick. It's usually translated, he tricked. That is, he didn't win the hearts of people. He didn't win the hearts of Israel. He deceived their minds. This is Washington. I mean, this is good politics. And so he even used religion. That's what politicians have to do, right? He even used religion when necessary. And in God's country, religion is always necessary, verse 7. And at the end of the four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived in Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord would indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. Claiming to God, claiming God to get. He's claiming God to get what he wanted. And claiming God to get what he wanted is ancient politics. This is serpent's tactic. He deceived David by using God and using worship And he ordained himself, verse 10. But Absalom sent messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And this is not only backroom politics. It is backroom politics, but it's idolatry. You see, Absalom wasn't claiming a secular office. He was claiming a sacred office. He was claiming to be king in God's country without Torah, without seeking the church, without the presentation of the priests and the word of God and so forth. This is idolatry. It's a tactic of the devil. The rule of the individual over the church. And he should rule by what feels right and what works. And the church is led away from God's word into mysticism and pragmatism, a.k.a. modern evangelicalism. It's the devil's tactic. And then he deceived the people of God, verse 11. It says, with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem. And the implication here is that these are powerful men, probably political men, who were invited guests. And they went in their innocence. They, They didn't know what was happening. They knew nothing, it says. They were unaware of the political stage that was being set before them. And once Absalom is declared king, they were then held hostage by his political savvy. It's just great politics. And then the conspiracy ends with David's chief counselor, verse 12. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor. So, He gets David's chief counselor. He's stolen the hearts of the people. He has his greatest counselor in the day. That is, he has become stronger than David. He's now more powerful than David. He ran a great campaign. 
He ran a great campaign, stole the hearts of the people, and in these days, there was no peaceful transfer of power. In these days, it was January 6th, but with teeth. Verse 13, and the messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. He has lost the people. He's lost the throne. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let us flee or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And he drove David out of the promised land, and the text says, and it's very important that you see this, he drove him out of the promised land and into the wilderness, verse 23. And all the land wept aloud as the people passed by, and the king crossed the brook of Kidron, and all the people passed on towards the wilderness. This is the work of the devil. He has kicked God's people out of God's place and driven them into suffering, driven them into the wilderness. And it was the hand of God. It was the hand of God that did this. God kicked David out of the promised land because David sinned grievously before the Lord. This is the law of God. God hates sin, and he must punish it with extreme punishment. And the wilderness is our home because of Adam's sin. You see, that ancient serpent deceived, drove Adam out of the promised land. But that is the ancient serpent deceived Adam, and Adam sinned against the Lord, willfully sinned against the Lord. And we live in the wilderness because we live by the lies of the devil. We live by lies. Sin is idolatry. It's the choosing. Sin is the choosing of the devil's lies over God's word. And there are consequences to choosing to live by the lies instead of God's word. And those consequences are the wilderness. So David is now driven to the wilderness from the land of God. But the wilderness is God's wilderness. God used the wilderness. We're going to see. He used the sin and the suffering to strengthen David's faith. And God uses sin and suffering to strengthen your faith, dear Christian. And we see that with the narrator. It's very interesting if you looked at the text. In verse 13 and verse 14, the narrator chooses to call David by his proper name, David. Verse 13, and the messenger came to David. Verse 14, then David sent all his servants. And so as the narrator is cleverly showing, he's calling him David, but after he drives him out of the land, after he pushes him into exile, the narrator starts to call him king. It's king this and king that. Look at verse 15, and then the king's servant said to the king, behold, your servants are ready to do whatever the king decides. So the king went out, and the king this and the king that. Once in exile, now in the wilderness, he forgoes David's proper name and calls him the king. That's because though he's kicked out of the promised land, he's still God's king. Though God was chastening David, he was still God's chosen. Though he was being punished for his sins, he's still the king. 
And God is simply preserving. It's the narrator's way of showing us and telling us that God was simply preserving his man, his chosen one. He's still the rightful king. And by the bitter medicine of discipline, he now begins to act like God's king. Verse 19 and 20. Then the king, there it is, said to Ittai the Gittite, why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your house. You came only yesterday, and shall I make you do, shall I make you wander with us since I go, I know not where? Go back, take your brothers with you, and say, and may the Lord, may Yahweh show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. Gittite, the Gittite, the Gittite, very important figure in this text. You see, David is in this situation because he sinned against the foreigner. He sinned against the foreigner, Uriah the Gittite. But now, through the bitter medicine of discipline, he blesses the foreigner, Ittai the Gittite. Kind of, a, kind of interesting the way the two names kind of sound. Uriah the Hittite caused his ruin, but now he's blessing the foreigner, Ittai the Gittite. He's blessing instead of cursing. That is, his repentance is working. The Lord is drawing repentance and faith in David. The heavy hand of the Lord was working. He was drawing David back to himself. David would persevere in faith because God was preserving him through the wilderness. God was preserving him in the wilderness. God was disciplining him to preserve him. Dear Christian, don't fear the wilderness. The wilderness is a time to grow closer to the Lord. The wilderness is endurance training. It's strength training. For when I am weak, when I am weak, we need the wilderness because in our homes, in your home, you live in a home flowing with milk and honey. You live in a home flowing with milk and honey, and we forget so easily how much our lives depend on God. We forget to depend our lives on God. But in the wilderness, the reality of weakness and neediness comes to the fore. And we run to our faithful Savior. We find our only comfort, body and soul, in life and in death, And then I am strong. Then I am strong. And David's becoming a man after God's own heart again. David's becoming a man after God's own heart because God was disciplining him. And the Lord was not only providing his soul in discipline, he's providing for his body and soul. Verse 21 Ittai, Ittai becomes, we see, but Ittai answered the king, as the Lord lives and as the Lord my king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or life, there also will be your servant. Ittai is a very important person in David's ministry, in David's life. You have to look forward, you have to go forward and read, but when you do, you find that Ittai became one of David's chief commanders, and Ittai was one of the sole men responsible for getting David back on the throne. And it just so happens, (laughs) here's the man who's going to get David back to the throne. This is providence. 
Though he's driven David to the wilderness, God's providing. And David didn't know it. And David couldn't see it because that's how, that's how providence often works. This is the light of providence shining in the darkness. And in the darkness, we don't often see how the Lord is sustaining us, how the Lord is protecting, preserving, and blessing us. We can't see because of the darkness. But we must know and trust that there are many ties in your life when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. You don't see them. You don't feel them. You don't even know they're there. But God is always there. He's promised to never leave. He's promised to never forsake. He's promised to work all things together for your good. There are many ties in your life. In the valley of the shadow of death, goodness and mercy are following you before God never stops following all the days of your life. Preserving you in the wilderness. Verse 24, and Abathar came up, and behold, Zadok came with all the Levites bearing the ark of the covenant of God, and they set down the ark of God until all the people had passed out of the city. The priests were basically saying, Absalom can take the city, but he will not have our religion. And you have to, you have to see that having the ark of God with you was the greatest political tactic at David's advantage at David's hand. If he had the ark, I can just, can you just picture the hats he could make, the red hat, make Israel great again, dot, dot, dot. I got the ark. <laughs> he could have used the ark, and David had used the ark in the past. He used the ark in the past, and what happened when he used the ark? God disciplined him. But he won't use God anymore because God's grace was working. He would not use God, he would trust God. Verse 25. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the ark of God back into the city. Get the ark back in the city. You see, this is RPW, David. God's word says the throne room of the ark is in Jerusalem. Take the ark back to where it belongs according to God's word. He's doing God's word. He would not exile God from his ordained place. He would follow God's word alone. This is faith. And he placed his life totally in God's hand. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. And here's a very important, here's the verse you want to memorize. You want to highlight. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. Let God do to me what seems good to him. This is the faith you need, dear Christian. If you want to survive this world, this world's wilderness, this world's sin and suffering, and if you want to survive this world, you need this faith. Let the Lord do to me what seems good to him. And the Lord is going to bless you. The Lord's going to bless you. He's going to give. He is going to give and give. And you're easily going to pray and praise the Lord. But you know what? He's also going to take away. He's going to take away. And if you don't have, let the Lord do to me what seems good to him, you are going to be held down by this sad world when the Lord takes away. If you 
hold to this world, if this world is your only comfort, and the Lord takes it away, if this world is your only comfort, if your health is your only comfort, and you look to your health as your only comfort, it's going to be taken away. You're going to get the news that you have cancer, and if this world is your only comfort, you're going to curse God for the cancer. And if your wealth is your only comfort, when the money, when you lose that money, you're going to lose hope. Because the world is your only comfort. And the world is therefore holding you in bondage. And you are in bondage to this world, this world full of pain and this world full of fear. And you will be held in bondage to fear and sin and misery. But faith is freedom. Faith is freedom from this world. But if you hold to this world, you will fall deeper into the wilderness because it is a sad world. But this is freedom. Let the Lord do to me what is good to him. This is the life of faith. Trusting the Lord when he gives. Trusting the Lord when he gives and when he takes away. This life is a wilderness and you're going to lose. You're going to lose, Christian. But dear Christian, it's never a loss. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But but whoever loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. And in the wilderness, God provides. In the wilderness, God provided. Verse 27 The king said to Zadok, the priest, he basically says, you guys, the priests, go back to the ministry. Go back to church and do what ministers do. Serve the Lord, bless the people. Oh, and while you're at it, you can help me out from there. This is providence. Go do what you're going to do. But hey, while you're there, you might as well, you know, help me out. You're going to be near the throne. Verse 31, or verse 30, and David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads as they went, weeping as they went. He's weeping because he's the rejected king. In verse 31, and the hits keep coming, and it was told David, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David heard, that was terrible news because Ahithophel had no peer, the greatest counselor of all time. And David fell on his knees hearing the sad news, O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. That's an important prayer. O Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And as soon as David prayed that prayer, as soon as he prayed that prayer, God instantly answered the prayer. Verse 32, while David was coming to the summit where God was worshipped, behold, Hushai, The archite came to meet him with his coat torn and dirt on his head. Hushai doesn't look like much. Doesn't look like much. It's providence. It's a good thing. You can't see it because there's Hushai. Who's Hushai? A foreigner. He's covered in dirt and rags and tattered and torn. Who cares about Hushai? It's providence. You see, Yahweh didn't turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. That was the prayer, right? Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. He did it. Ethophel went to the grave giving sound counsel. 
but he turned Absalom into a fool for rejecting Ahithophel. And how and why did he reject Ahithophel's counsel when it was so wise? Because Hushai told him to. Hushai is going to be the one who undoes Absalom's kingdom. And here he is, all torn and tattered. Providence, you couldn't see it, but this is light in the wilderness. God was providing even in the chastisement. Verse 37, so Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and here's Providence, just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. Just in the nick of time, David barely made his escape, but he made it because of God's providence. And the Lord preserved David. And Jesus Christ is the yes and the amen of God's providence and preservation for you. You see, Jesus Christ was the rightful king who ascended the Mount of Olives weeping just like David. Yet Jesus didn't weep over his rejection. He wept because his own people rejected him. You see, the ancient serpent had deceived, and once again, God's people loved the devil's lies more than God's truth. So his own people put him to death, and they used politics. They used Pontius Pilate. He was the sword that crucified Jesus, but he was the sword in God's hand. The people deceived and lied in order to kill Jesus. It was the serpent's move, but it was also God's move. Listen to Acts 2.23, Peter, his sermon, this wonderful Pentecost sermon. Peter said, this Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter's saying it was God's definite plan and foreknowledge. And then he says, you crucified and killed him. That is, these wicked, lawless men got what they want. A cross. But God got what he wanted. A savior. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans 8, and we'll finish here in Romans 8. Romans 8, 32. It should be highlighted. <laughs> if not, you want to highlight. Just start at Romans 8.1 and just highlight all the way to end Romans 8.39. That's the best way to highlight your Bible. Romans 8.32. Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He's given us his son. He sent his son to die on the cross How for your, for your salvation. How will he not also preserve you? Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That's the wilderness. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. 
In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the wilderness, God preserves you. God preserves his people in trials and troubles and persecutions and death and calamity. You see, friends, we all live by lies. And Christ weeps over his church. He's weeping over his church this morning to wash all your sins away. And he is spilling his blood through the preaching of the gospel to deliver you from all your misery. You see, Christ suffered to never let you go. Christ suffered so that goodness and mercy can follow you all the days of your life. And surely we will dwell in the house of the Lord. You see, in the wilderness, God blesses his people through the blood of Christ. And this is what the Lord is pleased to do for you. So put your trust in the Lord. Find peace and have your only comfort. You need body and soul and life and in death in this sad world. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.